It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and we are very excited because today is the first day that Peter Dowdle, our gardening expert, is back with us on the programme for the new year. So if you've got a gardening question for Peter, get it into us, uh, please. You can call John Paul or you can text our WhatsApp and we will chat with Peter a little bit later on on the programme. And as I mentioned to Ken earlier on, today's date, if you're writing down today's date, it is the 2nd of the 2nd of 22. So it's all the uh, twos. And actually, my thanks to Philip Joyce in Clonakilty, who sent me an email to tell me on this day in 1922, so again, the 2nd of the 2nd, 22, but 100 years ago, was the publication of Philip's granduncle's novel, Ulysses. Yes, Philip Joyce in Clonakilty is a grandniece of James uh, Joyce. And to mark the occasion on behalf of the Joyce family in Clonakilty, Philip has kindly lent the local Clonakilty library some unusual books about their family uh, history. And they'll be available to read on the premises in Clonakilty Library only for the duration of this week. And if there's a lot of interest, they may even leave them there a little bit longer. So if you've got any interest at all in James Joyce and his family, history than Clonakilty Library the place uh, to be. I think that's a very kind gesture on behalf of Philip Joyce and the Joyce family in uh, Clon. Hope you're keeping well um, Philip and of course there's a range of events taking place right across the literary world today to mark the 100th anniversary of the publication of uh, Ulysses and I've put my hand up on many occasions and said I have tried over the years to read a Ulysses. It's one of those bucket list things. I will eventually sit down and read it from start to finish. I think I got to about page 50 and I just couldn't get the hang of the book at, at all. It follows the character of Leopold Bloom. He moves through a very ordinary day in Dublin. Of course, it was on the 16th of June and it was set in 1904. And I've heard of people who are, you know, huge fans of Ulysses say it's as relevant today if you're picking it up and reading it today as it was when it was first published on this day a hundred years ago and it was a book that was treated with great suspicion by many countries including James Joyce's native Ireland at the time when it was published but the book is now read it's studied worldwide and of course because of it uh, James Joyce has become an intrinsic part of Ireland's cultural 
tourism industry and Bloomsday of course on the 16th of June is celebrated every uh, year so we remember James Joyce and Ulysses today on the 100th anniversary of its uh, publication. Now there was somebody has been on to us Eileen in Kinsale has already been on to the programme and she's just wondering do other people get frustrated uh, with this or is it just something that Eileen has a real be in her bonnet about at the moment she's trying to get through to her energy provider she had to renew her uh, contract and she wanted to speak to somebody about the renewal that she she was doing so she tried to go on a web chat she said that wasn't working she emailed the company nobody got back to her so then she said oh I better hit the phone so she did hit the phones and she had to be very patient in Kinsale because Eileen said she spent one hour and 20 minutes on hold before she got to speak to a human being and no doubt you were constantly hearing please stay online your call is important to us anyway Eileen made, made the point that last year when she switched over to this particular company she said she was in with calls from them because they were looking for her business but now that she needs to speak to somebody she can't get through to anyone and she feels if companies are allowed to set up in Ireland surely there should be some guarantee around customer service she feels a guarantee should be at least that phones are answered within 10 minutes she doesn't think that's an unreasonable uh, request she said if this was a voluntary service or a charity she said you would understand it they wouldn't have have a lot of staff she said at the end of the day these are companies that are making money from their customers and yet you can't speak to uh, anyone and she said whether it's online or on the phone and she said it is desperately frustrating and she would be interested in other people's views on this. Do you remember at one stage Air and I don't know if they have have they improved their service or not they had probably one of the worst customer service at one stage there wasn't I think a day went by we didn't get calls in from people telling us how long they were on hold to air our own Joe Heffernan who joins us on a Tuesday I remember Joe being really frustrated on air telling us how he was losing the rag waiting on hold to get through to air I know they were making huge promises to increase to improve their customer service and hopefully they have by now so it and it seems to go right across the board all of the utility companies anything from phones to gas providers to electricity suppliers to broadband to your television I don't know what it is with and you know Eileen and Kinsale is right when they're looking for your business they seem to have loads of people available there's lots of salespeople available to talk to you and some would dare I say almost say harass you to get you to join but then as soon as you've signed up and you signed on the dotted line if you have a problem or you need to talk to somebody to clarify something that's where the problems seem to arise and they just never seem to have enough staff available to answer those uh, calls. Uh, Eileen, as I say, in Kinsale Fields, it does need to be looked into. And actually it ties in with yesterday we had, we were talking about passports uh, yesterday on the programme because we were talking about delays with the passport and again trying to remind people to check your passports. If you probably haven't looked at your passport in the last two years. If you are planning on heading away this summer, you need to make sure that your passport uh, that your passport hasn't run out of date because a number of people are discovering that that's what's happened over the last two years. So there is a huge volume of renewals going through the passport office and if it's a first time passport or a passport that is in any way slightly complicated i.e. you have to send in information to them then you can expect delays and we were talking about that yesterday and the call went out do we need the installation of a printing machine for passports in Cork we had one many years ago I think about 10 years ago it got removed and the only two 
printing presses for passports now are both in Dublin and would it alleviate the situation somewhat if we had a passport machine in Cork so that's way, the way the conversation was going yesterday and then that led to some people saying they were having problems getting through to the passport office and I think it was the gentleman's name was Billy was on to us to say he was really frustrated he, he was trying to get a passport for his child and he, they had accepted the money but every time he went to download the forms that he needed to download to fill in they just weren't down loading for him and he couldn't get through to anyone he was trying to do web chat and he couldn't get through to, to anyone well a couple of people have been on with the possible solution to what's going wrong for uh, Billy someone was on to say had the very same problem with those passport forms and the link to it I ended up finding out that you have to do it on a PC as some phones won't work in order to print the forms I did it on my PC have all the for- forms now and I hope that helps uh, Billy and someone else was on when Billy was saying that he couldn't get through on the web chat to talk to somebody. Somebody said, I had the very same problem. What I discovered I needed to do was I kept refreshing the page until the chat icon eventually turned from brown to green. Now, it did take a good 20 minutes of waiting and constantly refreshing. I had the very same issue that Billy was talking about with a link to the passport forms. A very pleasant lady by the name of Shona came on to the chat link and she told me to try downloading the forms on a PC or a laptop as some phones and tablets won't work for printing. Did it on my laptop. Lo and behold, the forms uh, printed. I had to go all through all the questions again, though, on the application form. I really hope that help, that helps Billy. So thank you uh, to people for that. And uh, hopefully, Billy, let us know if you can get you need to get to a PC or a laptop and download the forms and you should be uh, sorted out. And just to let people know in the Knocknaheeny area, an issue that we're working on for some tenants. Uh, Dan in Knocknaheeny, I think, was the first who was on to us. Uh, he's living in a city council managed apartment block and in the apartment block there is a shared utility room and the shared utility room has a dryer I'm I'm assuming it has washing machines as well but Dan and a couple of the other residents got on to say that the dryer hasn't been working now. They, some say for a few weeks and because of that people are drying their clothes in their apartments and obviously that's not a very healthy thing to do to be drying your clothes constantly indoors without a dryer. They have been on to the City Council numerous times but nothing has been done so they got on to us to see if we could help out. So we have, we got an email, we sent an email off to Cork City Council and we are waiting a response. So just to let people know we, in Lochnihini we haven't forgotten about you, we're just waiting on a reply back from Cork City Council. Michael says, good morning to you all at C103 on this memorable day, the 2nd of the 2nd, 22. I would be interested to know how many can remember where they were on similar specific dates or those born on these specific dates where all of the numbers line up. Michael says, I myself can clearly remember back as far as the 5th of the 5th, 55. Being in school on that uh, day with a teacher long since gone to his great reward speaking to us on that day about those uh, dates and he would have been a very young teacher at the time on the 5th of the 5th, 55. I've got one Michael that I can add to your list. My son David opened his photography shop on the 12th of the 12th of the 12th. It was the 12th of the 12th in 2012. And actually it's his birthday because he was born on the 12th of uh, December. So that's a date he'll always remember, the 12th of the 12th of the 12th. Can anybody else remember anything happening 
on specific dates like that. Michael said maybe a family member was uh, born, maybe somebody got married because usually those kind of dates as well people pick for, for wedding days because they'll, you know, they'll have them for, it's, it's just kind of something quirky that they'll always remember. Not that you wouldn't forget your wedding day. Of course, you would remember, you, you shouldn't forget your wedding date. Anyway, let us know if you've got any other memories attached to dates where all the numbers lined up as today does the 2nd of the 2nd at 22. Thank you for that, Michael. And we were talking about the frustration when you're trying to get through to somebody online, some kind of a utility service. It's Eileen in Kinsale, very frustrated trying to get through to her energy uh, provider. And I mentioned AIR and that AIR at one stage, everybody was complaining about their poor customer service. And I'm sure they went into a rock this committee meeting over it and they promised they were going to improve it. Well, somebody says, Patricia, I would like to say 14 minutes from start to finish renewing my AIR contract. Not like the three hours and 16 minutes the last time I tried to do that. So credit, please, where credit is due. Thank you for that. But then someone else on air has a different said air. Still the same. One hour I had to wait last week. Well, at the way air was at one stage with the three hours and 16 minutes, one hour is probably an improvement. And on the passport service, particularly if you're doing passport online, they're they're really running an efficient service if it's a straightforward renewal. Patricia, I went online last Thursday afternoon and I have my new passport already, which I'm very grateful for. They're all working from home at the moment, which I think never should have been allowed to happen. It should have been classed as an essential service. And obviously that slowed up the whole process for passports. Thank you for that to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. While announcing that the leaving cert exam this year will follow the traditional route of a written exam and not the hybrid model used last year, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, said the overall marks would be no lower than last year's record-breaking set of results. So to find out how students are reacting to the news, I'm joined once again by Donald Cronin, who is a Leaving Cert student at the Patrician Academy in Mallow. Good morning to you, Donald. Good morning, Patricia. It's a pleasure to be on again. Well, thank you. You last spoke to us when you and your fellow classmates were going out to march in protest and you were very much calling for a hybrid model and the accredited grades uh, along with written exams. What was your initial reaction when you heard the news, uh, Donal? So my initial reaction was that I welcomed uh, the government at least taking some action to help accommodate students, but my opinion would reflect what the opposition parties have said so far, that it's a real missed opportunity for the government to help protect students in such a difficult time. Because, once again, as I said last time, our educational development has been uh, disrupted to a similar degree as the six years last year, and we believe that we deserve the same system as they got last year. Yeah, and if you had been offered... OK, just to explain to people, last year's Leaving Cert students got the hybrid model, which meant just explain what that meant to them. OK, so last year, um, Leaving Cert students were given a hybrid model where they could either sit their exams or they could take predicted grades. And even in the case that they sat their exams, they would be given the better of the grade they got. So, for example, if you sat your English exam and you only got a H3, but your predicted grade was a H2, they would give you the H2. And so 
there's been multiple arguments by the government, especially, that this cause points inflation. But the problem with the system at the minute, what they're proposing is that we'll have similar accommodations in the exams to last year, but they're going to guarantee the same grades. Now, the difficulty with that is is that their main reason for choosing this was points inflation. But if they're guaranteeing the same grades as last year, so let's say 10% of the students got H1s last year, they'll guarantee that at least 10% will get H1s this year through a sliding scale marketing scheme. That means that the, they're just going to compound points inflation. So if points inflation is their main argument, they're not actually addressing it. So would it not be the same thing, if not better, to help students by giving them a hybrid because... A hybrid does offer security to students who are disrupted with their mental health, who are stressing about leaving, sort of been out of school, and all of the above. So really, there is no real benefit of the system they're providing at the minute in comparison to a hybrid. And am I also going to have the very same conversation I'm having with you with another student next year who at the moment is sitting in the fifth-year class? Well, what you have to keep in mind is that fifth-year students have had it hard, but we have missed a substantial portion of our fifth-year. And obviously, God willing, there won't be another lockdown or educational disruptment, but we have had a substantial amount. We've had uh, three months off in fifth-year. We were delayed coming back a week. Students have been out for two weeks or five days or ten days isolation, depending on when they um, contracted the coronavirus. So whilst it can be argued that a hybrid model would kick the can down the road, I don't believe so, because a hybrid model is only going to reflect the hard work that students have put in throughout the two years, even with the circumstances of covid and another problem, a problem I can really foresee when, you know, Norma Foley was talking about this guaranteeing that the points would be no lower than uh, last year uh, and therefore like a random selection of grades are going to have to be used. Doesn't that run the risk of students who may have very high points losing out on their chosen courses? Yes, so it, it does run the risk of that. And so... There was complaints about that happen, happening with a hybrid model last year. So the problem is that they've changed the system now, but the system is still going to provide the same issues. Like, if they're going to guarantee the same through a bell curve, they're just going to compound an issue, which they already have, whilst not satisfying the needs of the students. As the spokesperson for education for Labour said, that it was a real missed opportunity. Mary Lou MacDonald reflected the same in the doll. The ombudsman a couple of weeks ago came out and supported a hybrid model. So what you're saying is that all the educational development officers or youth development officers are saying that a hybrid model would be better. So this suggestion that the government have put forward and are due to ratify is really coming from left field. No one expected this because it would be unfeasible it's a halfway house. It doesn't address the needs of students, nor does it address the worries of points inflation. So what they've actually done is thrown two two arguments in against each other and come out with the worst of both worlds, really. 
Yeah, but yet the teachers' unions, uh, Donald, very much out welcoming the news, you know, saying it was fair and equitable. I saw the TUI, for example, they said that it's now provided the clarity and that that means schools can maintain the focus on the important business of teaching and learning in in the weeks and, and months ahead. I mean, the clarity has got to be welcomed. Yes, certainly. Uh, what I said when I was on before, um, that there was a limited time before students were sitting pre's, before they were sitting a leaving cert, and it was imperative that they got the decision. So I'm thankful that the government have in some way acted upon it so that we at least know where we lie in terms of the government. But really, this should be a first step towards implementing a hybrid. This should not be the end of the road, really. There was loads of talk from the Minister for Education yesterday, you know, saying, you know, trying to make things a little bit easier uh, for the class of uh, 22. And instead of sitting, being asked to do 10 questions, you'd only be asked to sit six. And she was, I think she was quoting the maths paper and the English paper. Have you got the detail? Have the schools got the detail yet of exactly what the summer exam is going to look like? So uh, schools have got limited details. So all we know for sure about is the English and the maths, which Norma spoke about, so that You'll have to sit six to ten questions for each maths paper. And for paper two in English, you can choose between poetry, um, Shakespeare, and your comparative. But in regards to uh, a choice subject, it's difficult. We don't know. So we don't know what the, what the accommodations will be for history, for physics, for all the sciences, for all the humanitarian studies, etc. So we're still left in limbo and what we've been told is that those accommodations will be announced next week. When, so are, you, when, when are you due to sit your mocks? So so the academy's mocks will start next Monday. I know a lot of schools around uh, our local area have started them last week or this week but we're not till next week. But they're based on the model of the of, an, of a different exam to the exam of the one you'll be doing. Yes, exactly. So, whilst the government decision has been forthcoming recently since students have uh, taken to demonstration the lack of clarity from the beginning of September about sitting a leaving cert has certainly meant that students are sitting exams right now or in a week's time that will actually not reflect their leaving cert. So the old idea of the pre's being harder than the leaving cert is actually coming true this time because students are going to have a lot less choice than they would have in the leaving cert. Yeah, it's, it's a right old mess. It, it really is. And Donald, you spoke about you know some students suffering from anxiety and suffering from uh, stress. And and I did quote a GP who I heard uh, speaking after Christmas about she'd never seen so many young people, young leaving cert students, uh, coming into her practice, suffering from uh, anxiety. I mean, it's an anxious, doing your leaving cert is an anxious time anyway. Any of us, whoever sat the leaving cert will, will tell you that. But it's just, it's been taken to a new level this year, hasn't it? Yes, it's been extremely heightened. Like, you know, lockdown itself had an immense impact on not just students, but everyone, I feel, in terms of their mental health. But then coming out of the lockdown, being expected to sit uh, a full leaving cert originally is what they were proposing and in minor accommodation, and in being left in limbo up until your pre's, the government just continually compounds issues on students by not listening to their voice adequately. So unless we have meaningful change 
and our voices actually heard by the government, students are just going to continue to spiral. Okay, well, hopefully that won't happen. So it's, what's your own plan now? Have It's just head in the books, head down from now until June, is it, Donald? I'll be doing the same as every student across the country. I'm going to make sure I apply myself as best as possible. And no matter the government's decision, I am going to make sure that I can perform to the best of my ability. But I would encourage the government to not only help myself, but to help every student throughout the country realise the score in the Leaving Cert that they want to achieve and that they deserve to achieve. Okay, listen, we wish you luck in the mocks next week and all the luck in the world in the exams in uh, June. We might touch base with you again, uh, uh, Donald. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for stepping out of class. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. That is Donald Cronin, Leaving Cert uh, student, very articulate Leaving Cert student, may I say, from the Patrician Academy in Mallow. And I think very much summing up how Leaving Cert students are uh, feeling. They really were pushing for the hybrid model. And I think making the valid point that the, that the hybrid model was offered to last year's Leaving Cert and that this year's Leaving Cert are in a very comparable situation to the way the last year's Leaving Certs were. But the big danger and the big worry are these inflated grades and when and how are they all going to end? We've got to go eventually get back to normal results coming in for uh, students. I don't know what the solution uh, is to it, but was this, is this a missed opportunity for them to look at the Leaving Cert again? Because there's been lots of criticism over the year, years of the Leaving Cert and how, you know, the focus of five years of study, six years of study, all goes down to a three-hour exam and people have always felt there's been a level of unfairness with it but nobody seems to be willing to take the Leaving Cert by the scruff of the neck and do an actual overhaul and a complete reform of it. This Was this a missed opportunity? I certainly feel it was. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now Cork County Council have promised to explore in more detail the concept of providing special parking spaces at primary schools throughout the county for people with hidden disabilities. The issue was raised by Yall Councillor Mary Lenahan Foley who joins me to explain more. Good morning to you Mary. Morning Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now how would these spaces differ from say the existing disabled parking base? Well I suppose they'd be different in the sense that they'd have a sunflower on them and they'd be discretionary spaces rather than you know the way with the disabled spaces if you park on them and you don't have a disabled banner on your car, you can get a fine. Um, whereas with these would be discretionary. So you, it would mean, Patricia, I suppose, um, that people would use them at their discretion. OK, and have you seen them operating and are they operating in other parts of the country? Yes, they're operating in County Waterford at the moment in Dungarvan, in the town near Yall. And they're working quite well. And I suppose where it came from, Patricia, with me was a number of parents contacted me um, regarding their children going into school. And in one of the primary schools in my area, there's quite a lot of, as you can imagine, parking every morning. Mm. And one parent in particular was quite upset that she had to walk maybe half a kilometre carrying her child that suffers with anxiety. Um, Yeah. 
you know, and it's just upsetting the child getting the child into school. The parent is upset. The child is upset. So anything that could make their lives a little bit easier. So I just said, look, I put it out there. I got unanimous support from the rest of the councillors. Brilliant. If they could look at it um, and try and do something that would just have one of these beside a disabled bay um, and people would use it at their own discretion. Our parents would, Patricia. Yeah, and then, you know, what will happen is in local, pretty in primary schools, parents will know other parents and will know, look, we need to leave that space because Jane is arriving with Molly and Molly can get a bit anxious about going into school and people will, you know, willingly willingly, uh, do that. So it's a a, a kind of, it's a little bit like, you know, the yellow ones that have been introduced. Do you know if they've been introduced in all uh, county towns? I've certainly seen them in towns in, in North Cork for older people and they're yes. discretionary as well aren't they? Yes they are and like at the end of the day you know it's just making life that little bit easier for children with hidden disabilities because they don't qualify for the disabled badge so therefore you know they can be parking miles away from a school and as I mentioned before their parents get anxious as well as themselves so it was just something I felt that was needed and in fairness to Cork County Council, they are exploring it for us. And the Sunflower logo, for people who don't know, is an important one because the Sunflower logo is the sign of a hidden disability. Yes, yes. And I think it's gaining more attention now because you'll see people with a lanyard around their neck. Have you ever seen, if you ever spot anyone who's got a sunflower lanyard around their neck, you'll see it on adults and on children. It means that that person has a hidden disability and may require a little bit more time, I'd say, the checkout of a supermarket. I saw someone, for example, who wasn't, obviously because of their hidden disability, wasn't able to wear a mask inside in a supermarket and he had the lanyard around his neck. So nobody approached him because everybody understood. Yes. Yes. And like with Cork County Council, they did mention to me that it would be up to the board, the management of the schools and the particular school that I was mentioning um, to contact Cork County Council as well. Because if it's within the schoolyard, it's their responsibility. But the particular school, I suppose, that I was talking about, Patricia, is out on public road. So it'll be up to the council to do it? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, other than the paint, would it cost a lot? No, not at all, Patricia. Not at all. No. It would just be a case of the road liners coming down, as they normally do to all areas anyway, and just putting in the sunflower and just one space. And I'd be hoping it would be put... Um, especially the school I'm talking about beside the disability area so people would be aware of what exactly it's for. And you would like to see that replicated across the county then, would you? Yes, of course I would, Patricia. I would feel that any school at this particular time that needs one of them um, to definitely contact either me or their local councillor in their particular area and they can put it forward then to Cork County Council. Okay, well done, well done. And you say you got full back, because it was brought up at a full council meeting. It was, yeah. It was a motion I put in and I got full backing. It was seconded by Councillor Ben Dalton O'Sullivan and the responses I got from Niall Healy, who's the Director of Services for Municipal District and Padraig Barrett, Director of Services for Roads, was very, I suppose, I was delighted with the responses they got. They are willing to look into it and they are putting it forward, I think, to the Roads and Transportation SBC as well as the Social Inclusion SBC. 
And sadly, Mary, there are a lot of parents struggling with uh, children with, you know, sensory issues or children who are on the autism spectrum and many of them struggling trying to get a diagnosis because we know what their waiting lists are, are, are like. Yeah, it's awful, Patricia. I deal with it a lot and I know that there were stories in East Cork over the last number of days as well about it and I deal with it quite a lot through the HSE forum waiting lists upon waiting lists and it's just awful awful but you know what really saddens me I mean these are parents on a waiting list just to get a diagnosis and then God help them they have to face the diagnosis and for many it comes as a relief to finally know because you know nobody knows their kids better than, than than their parents but then to get the diagnosis then to be told you're going on another waiting list now for services. Yes. And like that's been happening with a number of years, Patricia. And I do have quite a lot of people that their children are going to be starting school maybe next year and they need that diagnosis before they start so that they can get the help that they need um, and they can't get in. The waiting lists are just astronomical. I mean, what is the, pro- the problem? Because, uh, you know, you, when you look into these things, people say, oh, they, we, it's not enough funding. And I do not accept that because we throw money at the HSE. We throw yeah. money at our health uh, service. I mean, the amount of money we spend on health every year, and we proved that during a pandemic when they needed money, the money was there. So the money is in the health service. Have you any understanding why these waiting lists just seem to get longer and longer? I just don't understand this. And... And a lot of the answers that I'm getting is staffing issues, especially, I suppose, in South Cork. Um, some are out on maternity leave or some are out sick or whatever. And that is the answer that I'm getting. But that doesn't wash with me, Patricia. At the end of the day, you know, if you've somebody like a teacher or in another line of work going out on maternity leave, you've somebody else lined up straight away to come in, you know. So I just... Yeah, maternity I, I leave. Yeah, ma- maternity leave doesn't suddenly somebody rings up on a Friday no. and says, "Why I'm off now for a year on maternity leave." No. Uh, people know well in advance the maternity leave yeah. Yeah. is happening. But is there an issue around trying to get professionals to work in rural areas? I mean, I'm thinking what happened—the shocking situation that happened in Kerry with the cams. Uh, what what happened there? And I know one of the points there is it's not a funding issue. It was they can't get people to they can't get the professionals uh, to work. And if if that's the case, do we need to come up with some imaginative and creative way to make these jobs more attractive to people and to say you know rural parts of this country are a beautiful place to live and work? Yes, and again, not going off the subject of that, but we've the same problem with GPs. A lot of GPs don't want to or don't find it attractive enough to live in rural areas. They seem to be heading towards the city, you know. So we should be giving them some carrot or giving them some encouragement as to why we need them in these areas. And, you know, I suppose, again, another thing would probably be their salary, Patricia. You know, mm. well, I only had the INMO, and I know the the Irish College of General Practitioners are were, were in the Oireachtas Committee with them uh, as well. They are predicting that we are nationwide going to have a huge 
problem with lack of GPs. And you're right, it's yeah. the rural areas are the ones that are going to suffer the most. We have a, in the next 10 years, there's a large number of older doctors who will be due for reti- for retirement. And we're not training the younger doctors coming up. Like, it's no, just, we're not. And, like, and what's frustrating is the right, it's there. The evidence is there that this is it, going to happen. And they'll scratch their heads in 10 years time and say, oh, well, you know, what's going on here? Well, like, you knew about it and you didn't do anything. Yeah, and if you remember, because I certainly do, I grew up in Yall, um, and all the GPs in Yall were Yall GPs, you know? Yeah, There were yeah. some families in Yall that went away, did their training in wherever, and came, and back. came back home and provided the service. So it was always the case we knew our doctors, and it was a case of they'd come out to the house and... <sighs> God. No, I know. <laughs> do you remember the old days of the house calls? God, I do. <laughs> that's long gone now, isn't it? You wouldn't long get a house gone. call. Yeah. You know, and you'd, you'd ring the doctor there and he'd say, look, I'll be on my lunch at whatever time. And I remember in particular with my mum and dad and I'd call down then at lunchtime to see your mum or whatever. And like that day is totally gone. Even before COVID, that was totally gone. I remember being in bed with it. I used to suffer really badly with kidney infections. I remember being in bed with a kidney infection and the doctor called into the house. Yeah, you know, yeah, I do. Too. Very, very different and it was times. Just natural. Yeah, it was yeah, just, yeah, yeah. But know, very different times. And now we're so now much. we're fighting to even get a GP. We've we are always getting calls in from people new. You know, people moving into an area, and they try to sign up with a GP. And every it's not the GP's fault, but every GP practice is is full. full. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Listen, we 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 we'll do our best we to solve the world problems. Mary, listen, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you all for that. You too, Patricia. Thanks Thank a million. So bye bye. Bye bye. That is your based councillor Mary Lennon Foley. Which I with, with I think with what we initially started out the conversation with a terrific idea to provide parking uh, spaces that would have a sunflower logo on it to detect that that to, to to notify people that that is a discretionary parking space for people with hidden disabilities. Uh, good luck to Mary with that campaign. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Somebody earlier when I was speaking with Donald Cronin, the Leaving Cert uh, student from the Academy, somebody says, uh, Patricia, what an excellent speaker young Donald Cronin was. He will go far. Yeah, and actually when I had him on a few weeks ago when they were doing, the, they were leaving the school to have a march uh, to try to get through to the Minister for Education that they wanted to have this hybrid model. I remember asking him at that stage what he was planning to do and I think, I think it's business and law. He said he was going to study uh, and I said to him he would make a fine bar because he's well able to articulate his point and he said yeah that's what he's hoping to do so yeah I think he will go far and actually I was just saying to, to John Paul we'll try and hook up with him maybe during the exams to see how they are going for uh, him and hopefully he and all of the students will uh, get on well it's a very very trying time for all of them and for their parents I'm very aware of parents listening who have sons and daughters and who are living with them and trying to keep them as calm as possible and no, in a normal year trying to keep a student calm in advance of Sitting state exams can be difficult, but this year I think it's a it's it's an it's an added nightmare because twenty five percent of the pupils never sat a junior cert, so they're going into a state exam for the first time, and the mo- probably the most important exam of your life because it sets you up then for what you want to do in college. So it can be a very trying time for uh, young people. Now on today's date, the second of the second. 
the the second of the second twenty two. All the t- all the twos, and we're asking people if you have similar dates where something happened in your life, a child was born, or so something significant where all the numbers lined up on the particular uh, date. One listener says, "My daughter Julie got married on the eleventh of the eleventh of the eleventh, the eleventh of the eleventh, twenty eleven, and obviously John got married as well because John married Julie on the eleventh of the eleventh of the eleventh." And I do know, yeah, people do try to pick those. Uh, dates and then Anne in Mallow says here's an interesting one about her mum she said my mum was born on the 21st of the 12th 21 so 21 12 21 and then she died on the 2nd of the 12 12 so all the one twos and two ones uh, strange coincidence it was only when after she died and they lined it up that they realised the significance of all of the numbers thank you for that uh, Mary number of people on about utility companies and this was kicked off by Eileen in Kinsale one of our listeners who got on to us very frustrated this morning to talk about trying to get through to uh, I think it's an electricity company, isn't it? It's a utility company anyway. And she said last year when she was signing up to them, they were all over. She was inundated with calls. And now that she needs to physically speak to somebody, she's just hugely frustrated because she can't get through to anyone. Mary said it took her a couple of days of trying and trying and trying to get through to her utility company. Eventually a sales rep called from the electricity company, but she said they weren't even really of uh, much help. And she wanted to physically speak to somebody. She said when she eventually did get through to somebody, she says, look, they were trying to get her to do everything online. Mary doesn't do everything online and she was trying to get some discount on her electricity bill and they were told that all of the discounts are offered by doing your work online. The only discount she was able to get because she's not able to go online was 4% for paying her bill on time. So what, says our Mary. She always pays her bill on time and that was the only discount she was able to get. So they, they do and they are pushing more and more people to go online and they do that with those incentives of uh, discount. Irene in Carrie Galine said, I was trying to get through to my electricity provider last week. Why? Because they actually owe Irene money. Guess what, says Irene? Couldn't get through to them. I've tried the online chat. Absolutely no luck. I've even emailed them and I've heard nothing back. And that could that be anything to do with the fact that you are trying to get through to them because they actually owe you uh, money? Uh, Bridie says, hi, Patricia, you should try getting through to permanent TSB. It is impossible. And again, as you said earlier, you're online and you're constantly hearing a recorded voice saying, please hold, your call is important to us. It's a joke, says uh, Bridie. So it isn't just utility companies, it's banking, trying to get through to banks as well. And of course, in many places, you can't even walk into, there was a time where you could walk into your local bank branch and there'd be a happy smiling face behind the counter and they'd be able to deal with you because so many of the branches now are closing down. And if they're not closing down, then they're open, but they're only open for you to to interact with the machine. Impossible to actually meet uh, someone. Okay, also coming in. Hi Patricia, this is from Kay. You were talking yesterday about the biddies. I was, it was from Beaufort, wasn't it, in County Kerry? And it looked, appeared to me like they were doing a, a set. Well, Kerry, uh, well, Kay says, we, had a gr- we have a group of biddies in Killarney and they're called the Killarney biddies. We were going before the pandemic. We used to go around to bars, singing and dancing in Kerry and parts of Cork and Limerick, collecting money for the Kerry parents and friends of the mentally handicapped. Uh, last year, we weren't able to do it, obviously, because of the pandemic so we set up a GoFundMe page and would you believe Kay says they collected four and a half thousand euro she said that people are absolutely fantastic and we're hoping that the Killarney Biddies will be back out on the road uh, again the, kind of it's a little bit like the Wren Boys isn't it
isn't it? That's what it sounds like it is to me. Well done for setting up that GoFundMe. That's a huge sum of money uh, to raise as well. And people, yeah, the, the generosity of Irish people, you don't have to tell me about that. Somebody's asking Joe Heffernan, the CD that Joe Heffernan was talking about that they've produced for the community air ambulance. Is it on sale in West Cork? Joe gave us a number of places but they appear to be all in North Cork I certainly will ask him when he's on with us next week but I'm unaware if they're available in West Cork if anybody can uh, let us know please do Hi Patricia I really hope that you read out this message and this is kind of following on from my chat with Mary Lenahan Foley in the last hour where we kind of digressed and went off onto a different road and we were talking about the lack of GPs and we were talking about lack of services and people on waiting lists particularly children to try to get access to services on the autism spectrum people who need multidisciplinary teams to get involved and people initially on a waiting list to try to get a diagnosis then when they get the diagnosis they're put on a waiting list for services it's just and then that led to Mary saying what about doctors we're going to have a shortage of GPs and I mentioned the fact that I had the Irish Medical Organisation on with me last week because along with the Irish College of General Practitioners they were at the Oireachtas Health Committee forewarning the government that we're going to have a problem certainly in the next 10 years with the number of GPs that will be retiring and we're just not training enough young GPs and the ones that we are training we need to encourage them to stay in this country and we also need to encourage them to move to more rural areas they all seem to radiate towards the city well that has sparked this and there's no name on this to say I really feel strongly about this I hope you read out my message as it annoys me when I hear everybody on radio like yourself making excuses for our doctors and nurses you're saying the government need to make it more lucrative for them to stay here they almost have free education through grants and our university system Uh, And yet the minute they're fully qualified, they seem to jump on a plane the next day. They owe it to the people of Ireland, who, by the way, paid for their education. They should be made to sign some kind of a form to say that once they come out of college and they're qualified, that they will stay here for a minimum of five years. If they decide to leave, then they should pay back every single penny they own. And by the way, Patricia, I have the utmost respect for our doctors and nurses who stay here and work uh, here And I suppose you could say the same about all of the different professions that go through university. Now, anyone who has gone through university and qualified as a doctor or qualified as an engineer or as an architect or any other qualification that you come out with for university, while while the government may say we have free education, that we do have the famous registration fees that everybody complains about, but there's also the additional cost of going to college and for medical students, they're in college uh, longer than say if you're doing an arts uh, degree. They do have to pay for their accommodation. There's a lot of other costs involved with it. I mean, because I'm sure I heard that when a young doctor comes out of college fully qualified, I'm sure they, they end up, they can some of them can end up with student loans of anything up to 100,000. All well and good if they've got a mum and a dad, we're back to the bank of mum and dad, who can afford to fund them through college. But there are a number of people who don't have access to that kind of funds and end up having a student loans that have to be paid, paid back. So it isn't, I know you say, almost a free education. But I do accept the point you make. Are we educating our young people so that other countries can benefit from what, what wonderful education system we have in this country? I do think there's merit in what you're saying. I don't know if that's the answer that everyone who comes out of college must commit, particularly in the medical field, if we have a shortage of doctors. And I mean, would you would you 
extend that out then and say, to, like to physiotherapists, to radiographers, to psychiatrists, would you extend it right across all of the medical profession that if you you are you are born and raised in this country, you attend the Irish schools, you go to an Irish university, that when you qualify, that you must commit to at least five years as a kind of a payback for everything the country has given you. I do think there is merit in what you're saying. I don't know if a government would be brave enough to do it or not, because remember, a lot of those decisions are made and people, the politicians will look at the political implications of it. How is this going to be viewed by the public? That's how a lot of decisions uh, are made. But listen, good comment. Thank you for it. Glad to read it out. And um, do others agree? that particularly on the medical field, that if we train our young people, why should another country, why should Australia, why should the UK, why should America, why should mainland Europe benefit from our young educated talent? And many of those young people go because they say that the working conditions are better in those other countries. And if they are better, then you can't stop them going. But do they owe something back to society? Do they owe something back to this country because of the great educational system that we have? Your thoughts about Welcome on that. 0818-103-103. Text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Staying on the dates. Margaret says, Patricia, my uncle was born on the 11th of the 11th of 1911. 11-11-11. Um, uh, Kathleen, I was born on the 25th of the 5th of 57. Not quite what we're looking for, uh, Kathleen, but I suppose you are uh, close enough uh, to it. And just a quick other few texts coming in on passports Patricia I just heard you talk about the passport renewal do you have to download and print these forms to fill them in if you're renewing online I thought the purpose of doing it online was to bypass all of that no if you're renewing your passport you do everything online what we have been talking about are people who need to send in forms for example if it's a first time passport or you're getting a passport for a child where you physically have to send in the birth certs or the parents marriage certs or whatever it is or if it's a couple you know after getting married and the wife wants to change her name to her marriage married name and her passport you have to physically send in the actual certificates in order to do that you can download the form so when we were talking about downloading that's what we were actually talking about but no for renewal it's just very very easy uh, process and it's backed up by Brendan by email to say Patricia on passport application my wife Bernadette applied for renewal of her passport last Thursday last Thursday was the 27th of January delighted to say she had her passport back yesterday on the first day of uh, February it was a new application uh, so um, it's it has got to be the new applications that where the holdups are and it is absolutely it is the new applications I saw actually it's been released today the Department of Foreign Affairs are coming out on this uh, because of the numbers. There is 113,000 people waiting on a a passport and there is the expectation that as many as 1.7 million applications will be made during this year as people realise that their passports are gone out of date. But of the 113 million 100,000 of them are online ap- online applications so I imagine they will get through those fairly quickly. It's the 13,000 paper applications that are on hand in the passport they are the ones that have the longest delays but I read with interest 
just before I came on air this morning that the Department of Foreign Affairs has come out to speak to the elective representatives because every TD and I think Senator as well, all elected representatives have a helpline, a temporary helpline in which they can ring the passport office and because frustrated passport applications are turning to their local TDs in in an attempt to try to get their passport quicker, there's a huge number of TDs ringing this special helpline for elected members. But the Department of Foreign Affairs have come out to say to any TD that's ringing that helpline that it doesn't fast track the process of the application. So do I take it from that that the passport office are sick to the teeth of being inundated with calls from TDs and if they are it's because tens of thousands of people waiting on their passports are ringing their TDs and their TDs are inundated with con- con- uh, constituents contacting them about the passports. It's kind of a vicious circle. 0818 103 103 Lines open. C103 Jobs Ground workers are required. It's for Cladove and for shuttering carpenters wanted for Cork City on the south side. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. MD O'Shea and Balancolic, they've got a vacancy for a, a trades salesperson. Need to have some experience in a similar role. Email jobs at mdoshea.ie. Healthcare assistants are wanted to work in Mallow. Email your CVs, please, to hr at nazarethcaremallow.com. And chefs are wanted for the Lep-In in West Cork. CVs, please, to the Lep-In, 1832 at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, as we already uh, mentioned earlier, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, confirmed that this year's Leaving Cert and Junior Cycle will be held as exams only. She said the profile of grades received by students in this year's exam will be similar to that of last year. People before profit, solidarity, Cork Dáil Deputy Mick Barry is critical of the decision and he joins me. Good morning to you, Mick. Good morning to you, Patricia. Now, firstly, for the class of 2022, has this announcement, at least in some way, given them some certainty about what is happening? Well, it has provided certainty, but it's not provided uh, certainty on the basis that a big majority of the students would have wanted. Uh, the students are very disappointed. Um, uh, according to the feedback that I'm getting, um, I mean, they've had a very rough time, haven't they? They've they've lost uh, months of classroom teaching time from lockdown and, and, and you know, people being sick. Um, and they their demand was for a hybrid leaving cert, for a choice. Uh, they certainly didn't want a traditional exams-only uh, leaving cert. Uh, they ran a, a a good campaign, you know. I mean, they lobbied and they went on the radio and they protested. Uh, they were a credit to themselves, but the government chose, despite what they're the way they're trying to spin it, the government chose uh, not to listen to them uh, and denied them the choice that they were uh, looking uh, for. 
But with the um, full backing of the teachers' organisations, I mean, both the TUI and the ASDI have come out saying it's fair and equitable. And I heard a teacher say that as soon as uh, accredited grades were mentioned, he said that the students lost interest, lost focus. It was almost like, actually, this is a fait accompli. I don't need to study at all. I'm going to get an accredited grade. Well, the, the ASDI has a committee called the Central Executive Committee. Uh, it's made up of over 150 rank-and-file teachers. Uh, they met, um, not last Saturday, I think it was the Saturday before that, uh, and they passed a resolution which said that um, they felt that there was an alternative to the Living Cert uh, and that the alternative would be a policy of open access. And I think what's meant by that uh, is the idea that uh, in the same way as you can move from primary into secondary, that you should be able to move from secondary into third level, that there would be college places for all who uh, who want them. Now, that sounds like a big ask, but if you actually consider the fact that the government are throwing money at employment agencies to scour the world and to bring back nurses and doctors and construction workers and so on, it does beg the question as to why is the government not investing far more in third level in order to create places here uh, for students who want them uh, to train workers uh, that we need. I don't think it's fair to force students to compete against each other with the CAO um, uh, we've seen in the last few days. Uh, I don't think it's fair to force them to compete against each other for a limited number of places, particularly in a pandemic year. But because a quarter of this year's Leaving Cert didn't sit a junior cert in 2020, they're pointing, the powers that be are pointing to that saying it would be impossible, therefore, to do accredited grades like last year. Do you think they could have come up with a solution around that aspect of it? Yeah, the the spin machine has gone into overdrive in the last uh, 24 hours and Norma Foley sounds like Margaret Thatcher back in the day. There is no alternative. There always is an alternative, uh, Patricia. For ex- I'll give you a, a for instance. Can you imagine if we were in a worse situation now than we are with COVID and that we were coming into April, May uh, with a lockdown and the schools were still shut? Is the Department of Education saying that in that circumstance they would not be able to organise a leaving cert? Of course they would be able to organise a leaving cert. They put the best brains in the department together and come up with some kind of of an alternative. So the idea that there was no alternative whatsoever at hand, it's spin, uh, and I don't buy it. Um, That's basically uh, my view on that. Of course, (laughs) I think we've probably discussed this before, Patricia. You'll know that I'm not a fan of the Leaving Set at the best of times. Well, I mentioned this earlier. I mean, this was a chance for reform of the Leaving Cert. Well, I I think one thing that has happened here is um, particularly the top civil servants in the Department of Education, a very conservative crew, I would think. Um, They're, you know, wedded to their uh, beloved traditional leaving cert, and they saw that slipping out of their hands a little bit in the last two years with alternative arrangements being put in place, and they wanted to make damn sure that they clawed the ground back this year and they had a minister there who was willing to go down that road with them. Unfortunately, at the expense of 60,000 students who've had it very tough. 
over the, the mi- last few years. But they're, mi- ma- they're making a stand for the traditional... The okay. minister did say that the exams will offer greater choice in the papers than those compared to, say, our last traditional Leaving Cert year, which would have been 2019. I mean, can students take comfort from that? Well, it is true uh, that students are to be offered more choice in the papers this year. That falls well short of what the students had been asking and campaigning for. But I think the very fact that the minister and the department have been forced to concede the extra choice in the papers is not down to warm hearts on the part of um, the powers that be. I think it is testament to the campaign that the students waged and the pressure that they were put under. under. That's a game that was won by the students themselves, even though it doesn't go nearly as far as they would have liked. Yeah, and you can already start to see some issues that are going to arise. I mean, the first thing that rang alarm bells for me was when Minister Foley said that the overall marks would be no lower than last year's. And we know last year's was was a record-breaking grades. Um, But the danger there then is they're going to have to use some kind of a random selection in order to balance out the points to make them on par with last year. I mean, that means you're going to have students, really gifted students who work really hard uh, and will have their heart set on a particular course. Some of them will miss out because they'll just be unlucky that they weren't one of the random ones selected. Yeah, well, we saw this last year where students who had, you know, a multiple A1s in subjects didn't get into the courses uh, that they wanted. And the, the root of the problem here the root of the problem is that there is a limited number of college places. Uh, the, the figures for the CAO came out yesterday. I think there's nearly 79,000 people have applied. They're down slightly, very slightly yeah. on, on last year from 79,000, I think, down to 78,000 this year. Yeah. Um, and there's approximately 60,000 people sitting the Leaving Cert, okay? So the Leaving Cert, in effect, is a gatekeeping mechanism to say, okay, you can go forward to third level and you can't. And it's, it's, it's a necessary tool if you have a system which doesn't have enough places to go around. The way in which to change it is to make sure that there are enough places to go around. Now, I know from conversations that I've had with people that people see that as a huge leap, right? Mm. Uh, but um, if, if you were to talk to parents or grandparents, people, people will remember back in the day where when you went to primary, some people went to secondary, most people didn't, right? And we need to move to a situation now where instead of most people going to third level, which I think is the case now, that anyone who wants to can do so. And it actually fits in with the needs of society because we need more nurses, we need more doctors, we need more teachers, we need more apprentices. The state should be investing in third level, and that's an an investment that pays you back in spades uh, down the road. We've actually touched on that issue earlier this morning on, on a different topic, but we also need to, when they qualify, we also need to keep them in this country. Yeah, I, I caught a little bit of that debate, and I think the solution there is not to force people to sign five-year contracts to sign up for working here, but to make working here something that would be attractive 
and enjoyable, that you don't have, um, um, you know, student nurses being paid buttons, and you don't have people when they're qualified uh, working in extraordinarily stressful conditions in understaffed uh, wards uh, in an underfunded uh, 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 health service. Um, okay. you, you improve the health service and okay. people will volunteer to stay here. Okay, and, and then and just and back to the leaving search, I mean, with what the Minister has done now in, you know, almost saying that the, well, she has said the great inflation is going to be the same uh, for, for another year. Are we now in danger that this time next year, Mick, I will be speaking with the kids that are in fifth year now, the fifth years will be saying we want the same concessions as the class of 2022 got? Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually um, remember last year when um, you had, uh, what did they call it, uh, predicted grades. Yeah. Uh, grades. yeah, we had the hybrid model. We had the, we had the two, so you could go for either R. I, w- I went on Facebook um, to see whether that was confined just to the six years, right? Yeah. And I, I discovered <laughs> that there were Facebook pages set up by by students in years going back to primary school <laughs> <laughs> campaigning for this to happen. So the, the genie is out of the bottle here. Yeah. And, and, and what the civil servants and the minister are trying to do is put the genie back in the bottle and go back to traditional Leaving Cert exams only. But I think the generation that is coming up now is not going to accept that. Leaving Cert is a very rigid exam. It's a very stressful exam. It's not good for kids who are not neurotypical. It's not good for a lot of working class kids. And we've, been, and, and we've been talking about it for years and nothing's been done. Eddie said we need to start a five-year programme now and work from that. Continuous assessment for the five years uh, and get rid of the traditional leaving cert. Uh, Eddie says it's a cash cow for some teachers at the moment. They get paid extra for marking the papers. Plus, you've got teachers who make money on grinds, which, uh, which can I say, only affluent parents have are in a position to be able to get the grinds well, other, ch- other children are not I, he said this I, is I, a perfect I, time to do it no problem at all with the with the students get, or with the teachers getting the extra money for the, the, the work that they do but certainly the Leaving Cert exams uh, should be scrapped They're, uh, they are unfair on uh, some young working class people whose parents can't afford the grinds uh, and uh, at the same time as we're doing that let's have a serious discussion now uh, about more places in third level and making it easier for students who want to go there to go there. Society will be enriched if we do that. Okay, well said. All right, Mick, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining sure. us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is People Before Profit Solidarity Cork Dáil Deputy Mick uh, Barry saying is now the time and this was the opportunity to reform the uh, Leaving Cert. It's certainly not going to happen this year and unlikely that it'll happen next year. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Lung screening should be added to Ireland's list of cancer screening programmes to help save more lives. That's according to the Irish Cancer Society. And to find out more, I'm joined by Aoife McNamara, who's the Irish Cancer Society's Information Development Manager. Good morning to you, Aoife. Hi, Patricia. And Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for taking time out to talk to us. I suppose, firstly, how prevalent is lung cancer in this country? 
Lung cancer would be one of the most common cancers in Ireland and in the world, but unfortunately it ranks first in terms of cancer deaths. So more people die from lung cancer than any other type of cancer, both in Ireland and globally. Unfortunately, one of the reasons for this is that by far the majority of lung cancers are diagnosed at a very, very late stage. And early detection is key with any cancer. So if somebody is diagnosed at an early stage, you have more treatment options for them and you have a much better chance of cure. Unfortunately, with lung cancer, the majority of patients are diagnosed at a later stage. So cure is very, very difficult. And do we know why it's always diagnosed at a later stage? Are people just ignoring the symptoms? There's there's a couple of reasons. And I suppose we have to be cautious here because when we talk about lung cancers, typically the most common lung cancer patient is somebody who has smoked for a very long time or is continuing to smoke. But I have to add to that, that you you only have to have a pair of lungs to get lung cancer. It is absolutely possible to get lung cancer and have never smoked. Um, just in case there is somebody listening today who has symptoms and thinks, well, that's not me, it doesn't yeah. apply to me. These patients tend to have symptoms. So, you know, you'll often hear people talk about their smoker's cough. There's no such thing. I mean, a cough is a sign that there's something wrong with your lungs, but people get used to these symptoms. So they might act on them as quickly. Then they tend to have lots of comorbidities. So by that, I mean, because they've been smoking for a long time, they might have lots of other issues with their lungs or their heart. And that makes it more difficult, again, to see or or to notice that actually I do have a new symptom here. That's something completely different. And then we have to acknowledge there is stigma. There is a sense of blame when it comes to smoking and lung cancer. So patients are sometimes hesitant to go to their GP and and they don't want to hear that you have to give up smoking lecture. And, And that can stop them, too. Um, unfortunately, we see, you know, as many as one in four lung cancers being diagnosed in A&E. So that tells us that even though there are specialist clinics in place and there's a really clear pathway as to how you get diagnosed with lung cancer in Ireland, um, patients are still presenting at A&E when they've got to that point that they're so, so sick, they need to go to A&E. And then it's simply it's simply too late. Uh, what would lung cancer screening entail? So it's quite different from other screenings in that you're screening high risk patients. So there has been tons of research done on this globally, and there's been some huge studies and the results have been like a massive success. The evidence is really clear at this point over the last 10, 15 years that this is the way to go. So when we talk about high risk patients, we're talking about people who have an extensive smoking history. So it depends on the various studies that have been done as to what the exact criteria is. But basically, you're talking about somebody who's been smoking for a very long time and they may have given up or they may be continuing to smoke. The second thing that puts you at high risk is your age. So we're talking about people between 50 and 74. So you would identify that group of smokers in that age. And then what you would do is you'd send them for a CT scan. And if if people aren't familiar with a CT scan, it's very like having an X-ray. You essentially go into a hospital setting, you lie down on what feels like a hard bed, you have to lie there for about 15, 20 minutes and they scan you. It doesn't hurt, nothing touches you. It's very non-invasive. And then when you come out of that and and before that, you would obviously speak to some uh, specialist nurses and to some smoking cessation counsellors. And that's a really important part of smoking screen or sorry, smoking screening, lung cancer screening, because you obviously don't want people to get a scan that says, no, you're fine. You don't have lung cancer and send them back out to continue smoking. Yeah, that's just going to continue to increase their risk in the future. 
Yeah, and and, and have does it operate in any other country? It does. So it is widely available at this stage in the States. It is also now available in Croatia and Croatia was the first European country. And then there are numerous studies and pilots screening programs running in lots of countries, including across the UK. So there's a lot of research there to say that this has worked and countries are starting to roll these programs out. There's been a lot of movements as well at a European level and the Irish Cancer Society has been very involved in that. Just recognising that really now, you know, the evidence is there and it's time for countries across Europe to start very seriously looking at that. Um, Our own screening service here in Ireland asked for submissions before Christmas and that gave the Irish Cancer Society an opportunity to make a submission to officially request that lung cancer screening uh, be piloted in this country. So we'd be hopeful that that that's on the horizon for the country. As you know, there are screening programmes already in existence, so it will be adding to those. And we have very successful other screening uh, programmes. I mean, they've picked up a lot of cancer since they were introduced and a lot of people are alive today because of those cancer screening programmes. Absolutely. I mean, the screening, sometimes people get confused about this. Screening is looking for a disease when somebody has no symptoms. And when you have symptoms, it's a sign that a disease has had an opportunity to grow in your body enough that it's become disruptive and it's causing a symptom. So if you think about lung cancer screening, you're scanning somebody and you're potentially picking up cancer at such an early stage that they have no idea that it's there. And that makes it much, much easier to treat. I mean, there's a huge array of treatments for lung cancer, but it's a lot easier to treat an early stage lung cancer than it is to treat a late stage lung cancer. Um, And then obviously it means it's just an easier time for the patient. It's still incredibly distressing to be diagnosed with any cancer, but they're healthier going into their treatment. There's more choice and they're much likely to recover quicker from the treatments. And then their long term outlook is going to be better as well. So it's a win win situation if you can screen somebody and diagnose them as quickly as possible with any cancer. Absolutely. Have you any idea on what it would cost annually to have a lung cancer screening program? Uh, I don't. And that is likely something that the National Screening Service will want to look at. It's a really good question because let's be realistic. At the moment, our health system has, you know, had to deal with COVID and that has had a knock on effect on all other services across the health system. And there's more delays and more waiting lists than there's ever been before. If you bring a screening service in, you're essentially inviting people into that hospital setting. Um, that wouldn't otherwise be there. So that's having a knock-on effect on the machines like the CT scans and all of the staff involved in that, everything from the technicians to specialist nurses to the radiologists that actually read the results. And then you will pick up lots of other things. A CT scan is a very useful test because it's showing a picture of the inside of your chest. Um, So you're potentially going to pick up things that aren't lung cancer screening but do require follow-up care. So you have all these patients going into all of those other areas of the hospital as well. How they've overcome this in other countries is they've used mobile units. Um, uh, For example, across the UK, you'll see a lot of that in the various different pilots. And you'll see that here. With breast check. Well used to breast check pulling up in your local supermarket. Exactly. It's the same concept. There's no reason why that can't happen with CT scanning. You know, it is absolutely possible to put a CT scanner in, in, a, in a large truck, essentially, and, yeah, and to drive yeah, it around the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, where, where, so, where there's a will, there's, there's a way. Yeah, well, this is, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say it won't have a knock-on effect and it won't cost money. And 
in an Irish setting, we don't have that data. And it's very likely that that's the first step that the screening service would need to look at this. Mm. Um, but we have to come back to the fact that the evidence is very clear. This absolutely works. I mean, it's, it's a very successful way of finding cancers early. And if you find a cancer earlier, you will save money for the health system because it's cheaper to treat a cancer that is early diagnosis as opposed to a cancer that's a late diagnosis that requires a lot more expensive care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tom, one of our listeners uh, says, could you ask Aoife, what are the symptoms of lung cancer? Yeah, and thank you, Tom. Um, If you have symptoms, first of all, you don't hang around and wait for a screening programme. You absolutely go to your GP. So symptoms are all to do with your breathing. So things like difficulty breathing, a cough that's not going away, or maybe a change in a cough that you've had for a long time, repeated chest infections, especially the kind of ones that you keep getting antibiotics and it's just not shifting, maybe feeling more tired than usual, having changes in your voice, you've suddenly become hoarse, coughing up phlegm or coughing up blood, pains in your chest. And then more unusual things like maybe you're losing weight for no reason. You've lost your appetite. You've got swelling around your face and neck or you're having difficulty swallowing. These are things you wouldn't necessarily associate with your lungs, but are in fact signs of of lung cancer. And if you have those symptoms, the first thing I would say if you're listening this morning, don't panic. There are symptoms of other things as well, but do get them checked out. Do go to your GP. Um, The GP can do something like send you for a chest x-ray, which is a really simple test and gives them a good picture of the inside of your lungs. Based on the results of that, they can then refer you to a rapid access clinic. And in Cork, that would be in CUH. So that's a specialist clinic that is designed for suspected lung cancer. So it's for people who have symptoms, who have changes on their chest x-ray, who need to be brought through the system quite quickly to outrule lung cancer. Um, and that system's in place. So the first step is to go to the GP if you do have any of those symptoms. Okay, don't ignore. We also have a, pardon? Don't ignore any of the symptoms. Absolutely not. You know, the, the, it always comes back to a symptom is a sign there's something wrong in your body. It might be something very minor, but it's not something you should ignore. You should get it checked out. And I was just going to mention there as well. I appreciate that sometimes it's difficult to access GPs at the moment and people might be anxious this morning. Feel free to ring our support line. Our support line is a free phone uh, helpline that's staffed by specialist cancer nurses. And they're happy to talk through any of this with you at length length this morning. And uh, they're available on free phone 1-800-200-700. I was just about to call that number out for you. 1-800-200-700. And there's also the support line at irishcancer.ie. Listen, Aoife, you're a mine of information. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks a million, Patricia. Good morning to you. Aoife McNamara, Irish Cancer Society's Information Development Manager. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Yesterday was St. Bridget's Day. We were talking about St. Bridget's Day. And in particular, we were talking about St. Bridget's Crosses. And somebody had contacted us to say that there was somebody had made and was selling St. Bridget's Crosses in Canturk and they were doing it as a fundraiser for the Community Air Ambulance. Lo and behold, the lady responsible for that, somebody on her behalf, uh, has contacted us. The lady, I only have a first name, it was Patricia in Canturk, who must have spent hours making St. Bridget's Crosses and then she went into, I think it was Super Value in Canturk and sold them as a fundraiser for the Community Air Ambulance within three hours Every one of her St. Bridget's Crosses were sold and guess what? She has made €1,400.
That's an incredible sum of money. Well done. As I say, don't have a surname other than it was Patricia in Kentark who was making and selling those St. Bridget's Crosses uh, yesterday. Well done to you, Patricia. And a great cause, the Community Air Ambulance. And actually, let me just stay on the Community Air Ambulance for a moment because somebody earlier had been on to say, Joe Heffernan, who we spoke with yesterday, he was involved with the launch of a CD last Sunday with all proceeds going to the Community Air Ambulance. And somebody in West Cork was saying, where are they on sale? She John Paul got on to Joe and he said he's, he's trying to find outlets down in West Cork and he'll get back to us uh, when he has outlets that are selling the CD. But as of now, the CD, those CDs for the Community Air Ambulance are available at Super Value in Bohop. We can't talk a new market. They're in Dano Centre and Dano Super Value. That's in Mallow. They're also in Hurley Centre on Main Street in Mallow. They're in Murphy's Gala Shop in Gertine. That's on the main Mallow to Killarney Road. And they're also available if you're in Canturk in Duan's pharmacy. Okay, so we wish everybody luck with that uh, CD. A very unusual call our gym got this morning and we're going to give it out to see did anybody else receive a call like this? Jim says, I got a phone call from a private number this morning. Now, Jim says, I was slow to answer it. You know, we're all slow now to answer anything from a private number or even any, any number that we don't recognise because with so many scams doing their own, slow to answer. But sometimes your curiosity gets the better of you and you decide to answer it. Anyway, Jim decided to answer this call from a private number. And there was a lady at the end of it saying, did I know or had I heard of Mason Greenwood which I said I did, said our Jim. Now, Mason Greenwood, for those straight away, his name will ring a bell with a lot of people. He is the Manchester United footballer who has been, he's just been released actually on bail following his arrest. He has been arrested on suspicion of rape, assault and threats to kill. And this was a former girlfriend at the weekend. She had, I I listened, actually I found it the most distressing thing to listen to. It was like a two minute uh, piece. And I don't know whether she managed to hit record on her phone or what or how it got recorded. I'm unsure, but it was just a distressing conversation and act that was going on where she didn't want to have sex with this man and he was very much listening to it, very much trying to force her to have sex. It was really, really distressing and anyway, he's subsequently been arrested on suspicion of rape, assault and threats to kill this um, ex-girlfriend. So that's why the name Mason Greenwood I don't know if you've ever heard of him before or he certainly wasn't on my radar before the weekend I have to say and I take it unless our Jim maybe is a Manchester United supporter and he was well well aware of him anyway. So Jim gets this phone call from a woman private number saying have you heard of or do you know Mason Greenwood? Jim said I do and she said she was doing a survey and wanted to know Jim's thoughts about Mason Greenwood and what has happened and what's been reported online and in all the papers. And Jim said, started to tell her how I felt about it. And he said, would you ever slow down? She said to Jim, would you slow down a little bit because I'm writing down everything that you're saying. So Jim said, he stopped, started talking again. And then suddenly the phone went dead. But he said the reason the phone went dead was that Jim was in a bad coverage area but he and of course it's a private number so he can't even ring back but he's wondering did any other listener get a similar call and he's wondering is it legit is it a scam or what is it I was talking with John Paul about a gym when they 
when the news was on because it's such a bizarre question to be asked and then to be asked for your thoughts on it and then somebody literally writing down your answers. I'm assuming it's somebody somebody trying to get the reaction of the general public to the story for some kind of maybe a service. It's, it's A survey is probably the wrong word. It's somebody doing research into the story but why they're randomly selecting Irish numbers and, and, and I take it the lady did she have an Irish accent Jim it's a really bizarre one I'm scratching my head because I, I have done online or phone surveys before I've done ones with you know the recognised ones like MRBI the Ipsos MRBI I've taken part in those before and I never have a problem and I know sometimes they'll say it'll take about 20 minutes I never mind doing them because I know the worth of those surveys and we would often talk about those surveys and use those surveys here in the programme so I see the worth of them but I don't think I've ever heard of somebody been contacted about a very prominent news story looking for your comments on it. So we'll put it out there, Jim, to see has anybody else received a number from a private, so the number was blocked, so Jim can't even ring back to say, because obviously Jim was answering the questions and then was going to ask, what is this all in connection with? Or we assume that the woman would have would have then told Jim how and when his answers would be used and why his answers were needed, uh, but he didn't get the chance because he was in a, a bad coverage area. So we'll put it out there. Or if you hear of somebody who got a similar call, you might hear later on today, let us know please because I am scratching my head but I am intrigued by it for sure. Thanks uh, Jim for sharing that with us. And then Liam on emailing the programme you can always email Patricia at c103.ie says Morning Patricia just something I've been thinking about lately particularly listening to your programme over the last few weeks when we've been talking about how people are struggling at the moment and inflation and everything seems to be going up and everyone is dreading their ESB bill coming in and or their electricity bills, and we still call it the ESB bill, the electricity bill and the gas bill coming in. And when you go shopping, everything has gone up in the supermarket and just generally inflation is on the rise. Liam says, thinking about all of that, he's just wondering, would the government ever consider removing the USC charge, the universal social charge? Now, remember, the USC charge, USC charge was brought in after the bust. And it was brought in, as Liam says in his email, as an emergency tax. And the government of the day said that they would remove it once things got better. Would this not be a simple and a very fair way to reward people that did work throughout the pandemic because it's people who go to work that are paying the USC charge. And Jim says, as you'll agree, we are at almost full employment in this country. The cost of living is 30% higher than it was during the boom times. Just an idea. If you'd put it out there, I'd be interested to see what your listeners make of that. Thanking you and the gang uh, enjoying the show. Thank you for that, uh, Liam. It's not a bad suggestion. It's not a bad suggestion because when there's been a level of criticism about the pandemic, the 1,000 euro pandemic bonus and the level of criticism, of course, has come from other sectors outside of healthcare who also worked during the pandemic and people feeling, well, if I went to work every day during the pandemic, why am I not getting a 1,000 euro bonus? And if they removed a tax like that, every single worker would benefit and it could be done, as Liam says, as a way of saying to everybody in society and everyone that went out to work during the pandemic this is a thank you but more importantly if by getting rid of that tax it will put more money into the pockets of people and that's what everybody kind of needs at the moment because of the way inflation is uh, rising. 
Uh, your thoughts on that? 0818103103. We were talking about GPs and lack of GPs and what we need to do about the young generation of doctors coming up and encouraging them to stay in this country with somebody going so far as to say they should be forced to stay and almost sign a contract that they have to stay for five years after leaving college. Listen to this story from Morris. Morris knew of a young lady who would come over from India to be educated here in Ireland. She received enough points to go to college in Dublin to do medicine and her wish and her desire was to train as a doctor. But at the end of her college days, she was forced to leave the country. Why? Because she couldn't get an internship because, you know, doctors, they come out of university and then they all go into the various hospitals around the country for internship. What happens, Mara says, in this country, they offer the internships. The first obviously go to Irish students. Then it goes to EU citizens. Then it goes to North American uh, citizens. And after that, it's opened up to the rest of the world. And obviously on the year that this young girl graduated from college, there there wasn't enough places for the internship. This girl had paid all of her own accommodation. She didn't get any grant. And the fact that she came from India, she would have paid all of her college fees as well. She ended up having going back to India. What is the sense of all of that when we're crying out for doctors in this uh, country? And actually, I've heard of the North American, the American citizens who've come over here to train because we're recognised as really being very high up when it comes our education system of course is known the world over but particularly when it comes to the training of doctors so we do get American students who come over here and they have to pay all of their college fees they're unlike the Irish or the EU students they pay their fees but that's been an issue every single year when it comes to the internships there literally isn't enough places for the number of students that are coming out. Is that something that has to be looked at, Morris? I think absolutely, particularly with the GPs saying we are going to have a major problem in 10 years' uh, time. So maybe that's another way around it. They can they can bring up, in, I was going to say invent, uh, they can increase the internship and maybe have more junior doctors instead. Uh, thanks for your call, Morris, to 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. And staying on a gardening theme, let me remind you the Bandon Further Education and Training Centre, they're offering free gardening courses at their poly tunnel. It's at the Bandon Allotments. The courses run on Tuesdays. There's two sessions. There's a morning one from 10am to 12 and then there's an afternoon one from 1 to 3. Uh, if you're interested in either of those sessions, you can call 086 823 9094. Weekly meeting of Mallow Active Retirement uh, Group. They're back every Tuesday morning at 11 in the Mercy Centre. All are welcome and please note that mask wearing is uh, essential. The closed collection to raise funds for the Marion Hall car park in Ballinhasic continues this week. It's on tomorrow na- tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening, Tuesday, Thursday, half six to 7.45 and then on Saturday from half two to uh, four. And bingo back this Friday. It's in the Mallow GAA Complex, 8.15 with a jackpot of €2,150. The usual buses are back operating and Rathmore Bingo is also back this Friday with an 8.30 start. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. John has contacted the programme this morning to say that the story from the funeral director, it's in, I don't know which paper I read about it today, it's, it's a local 
a Cork-based funeral director talking about the disrespect shown to uh, funerals uh, and he's actually we're hoping to speak with him tomorrow on the uh, programme and it's to do with you know if you're passing a hearse most of us, I certainly would, would slow down, show respect, bless yourself. I always pull in and when I leave work, the way I head home, I have to pass a local cemetery here in Mallow. So inevitably there will be so many times during the year that I will pass a funeral and you'll see it coming in the distance. So I'll always indicate and uh, pull in. Not everybody does it. I've been nearly blown off the road sometimes for doing it. But anyway, um, and this funeral director is saying that it's uh, we've lost that respect for uh, funerals and John is picking up on that. And he would go so far as to say he would introduce penalty points for those who disrespect or cut off a horse in traffic. I don't know if the Gardaí would agree with you on that one, John, but I certainly accept that you feel there, there's a level of respect gone and it's backed up by this funeral undertaker as they say we will hope to speak with him tomorrow on the programme and thank you to Jim who got that unusual call from the private number asking him had did he know of Mason Greenwood and the story about Mason Greenwood and he then just got cut off and I was saying was it an Irish accent Jim was back on to say no Patricia it was the lady on the end of the phone sounded a bit Scottish it's not a great Scottish accent, it's a bit Scottish. Okay, so she was Scottish. Okay. And thank you for that, Jim. And let me know if she calls you back, by the way. Uh, Daniel says the problems in the HSC, and this is to do with lack of uh, doctors and children on waiting lists and adults on uh, waiting lists. Daniel reckons the problem with the HSC, he says they're caused by what he describes, his words, inefficient senior and middle management. Look at the director of the HSC, you're talking of Paul Reid, who we've all come to know uh, very, very well because of the pandemic. Uh, he is on 400,000 euro K per year. I always get the uh, four, nearly half a million a year He's, he's paid. Now, would I do his job? No, I wouldn't. Would I do it for that money? Maybe I'd have a stab at it. Anyway, Danny reckons he gets that money to do radio and TV interviews and apologise for the latest disaster and the latest scandal that happens within the health uh, system. Well, I, you know, I take it for that amount of money. He does a lot more. Uh, Daniel, unfortunately, that's what we see when he has to step up and front the HSE and say sorry for what's happened or to say the latest of what's going on I imagine it is a nightmare of a job but it certainly comes with a very very high wage package you you are right on that uh, for sure on passports Hi Patricia uh, from Catherine my son did his passport online on uh, Sunday took him about 30 minutes in total to do everything upload his photograph and everything and he got it in the post this morning so he did it on on Sunday night and here we are on Wednesday morning the great postal service delivering his new passport I'm telling you, do it online. Do it online. If it's a simple renewal, you'll have no problem at all. Came across an amazing story. Made me smile in the papers today. And this is to do with cigarette butts. If you speak to anybody involved with Tidy Towns, and I know any time that I have on the good people from Eyeball, the Irish business against litter, they will always talk about the scourge of cigarette butts. And if you're out and about on a walk today, look down on the ground and you'll see cigarette butts. Now, smokers will say not enough receptacles around the place for people to dispose of their cigarettes. And, you know, they'll always find, they'll always say we do our best and what can we do? But they're all over the place and they make an area look really untidy. And obviously they're very bad for the environment. So there is a Swedish city 
are assembling a what they're calling a crack team of highly trained workers to combat the menace of discarded cigarette butts. And who are this crack team of highly trained workers? Would you believe they are enlisting the help of wild crows. It's a pilot scheme that they're what using this spring and I'm really going to try and find out as much information as I can about this. The pilot scheme in this city in Switzerland, in, in Sweden, will see flocks of these very clever birds flying around the streets picking up cigarette butts but they'll also pick up smaller pieces of paper. What happens then is the crows drop them into, this is this prototype container and when they do that they get rewarded with a snack and the, the, the thought pattern is that they teach the crows to exchange the butts or the little pieces of paper for food and by doing that the crows help to keep the streets and the square in this city in Sweden to keep them clean. The company say that they selected crows, why? Crows, it seems, are the most intelligent wild birds in Sweden. Didn't know that, but seemingly they're highly intelligent. They're easy to teach and there's also a higher chance of them learning from each other. So once you get one group of crows doing it in an area, other crows start looking at what Mr Crow was doing, realises he picked up that cigarette butt, he went over and dropped it into that container. Obviously, by dropping it into the container, something else pops open or something else drops down and he's able to get some food and the other crows pick up on that and they learn the behaviour from the other crows and suddenly you have a whole flock of crows doing the cleaning and picking up all of the uh, cigarette uh, butts and also by t- by them and they learn seemingly very quickly by teaching them they're also that they'll get a tasty edible snack by doing that, they lower the risk of them mistakenly eating the rubbish because they'll know, and they would know themselves if they, if they had one, they would know themselves not, not to eat it again if they're as intelligent as the Swedish experts reckon they are. The birds trained so far have participated entirely of their own, meaning the scheme essentially works on a barter system. And according to the Keep Sweden Tidy Foundation, which I imagine is the equivalent of our overall Tidy Towns group, one billion cigarette butts are left on Sweden's streets every year. And the estimated cost to pick up one cigarette butt is two krona, which works out at 19 cents just to pick up a cigarette butt. So they believe that if the scheme is successful, the local authorities in Sweden could end up saving as much as 75% of the cost of sending out street cleaners uh, to pick up the cigarette uh, butts. And they say while they're finding it quite easy to teach crows to pick up the cigarette butts, they still haven't been able to train and teach people not to throw them on the ground in the first place. As I say, I will do my best to try to keep as close an eye on that story as possible because I think if that works and they've cracked it and if they have managed to teach the crows to do it, I think you can see, you will end up seeing other countries picking up on the idea and other cities picking up uh, on it. Now, the only one thing I don't know and only time will tell that if you've got all the crows swooping down picking up the cigarette butts, is there a little bit of it? You know the way seagulls can come down and if you're anywhere near food, I mean, you could really get almost attacked by a seagull. I take it crows won't do that. They'll just, they should just swoop to the ground, pick up the cigarette butt piece of paper off to the receptacle, get their reward as their, their snack as a reward and head off uh, again. 
fascinating. I love seeing stories uh, like that. I think they're just, it's incredible. But it's incredible how intelligent some animals can be. But who knew that crows were so intelligent? 0818 103 103. Now, I mentioned the USC uh, charge um, earlier because we had an email in from Liam who suggested that maybe now is the time for the government to reward the workers of this country. They introduced the USC charge that was brought in during the bust as an emergency tax. Is now the time to get rid of it? Connor and Skibbereen says, I totally, totally agree with Liam who emailed uh, your programme. Uh, the, the USC should be abolished and we should now return to the office. The cost of commuting no, no, the USC should be abolished and we should now return to the office. The cost of commuting is killing. And as we now return to the office, the cost of commuting is killing. It's like another mortgage. Uh, Conor and Skibbereen says €100 Euro extra a week now he has to budget for because he's returned to the office and has to commute. God almighty. And that's on top of childcare and mortgage. It's beginning to become so uh, tough. We're managing to just keep going while the wages are staying staying. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So yeah, anything you can get back would be good. John is in Castletown, uh, Roach. Uh, Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. You're listening to Liam's suggestion. Do you think the government will go for it? Uh I don't, for the simple reason, Patricia, is that uh, it's uh, collecting $4 billion a year and I don't think uh, any government are going to force the, that kind of uh, revenue stream, uh, which and all, as we'd all love to have it uh, uh, taken away because it's uh, a, a, a tax on gross income and there's no benefits accruing from it. And no, I, I would have to do a bit of research this afternoon just to remind myself on it all. Liam is right. It was introduced during the bust as an emergency tax. Yes, it, it was. I, I'd agree. I would agree with Liam there. But I mean, uh, uh, when politicians make decisions, 
and they say that there are temporary measures. What's politician's definition of temporary, Patricia? Yeah. And isn't it always the case when they do something like that, when something is introduced and they say, you know, it's but times are tough, you know, we have to pull in our belts and all of that. And everybody has the suspicion that that will never go away. It's like when they increase something. It's like when the, do you remember when the prescription charges came in first and it was a very nominal amount of like 50 cent and they were saying, you know, it would eventually be done away with. Suddenly people were saying that will go up and up and up and it did. Now I know they've started to reverse it now. So they bring in these things, probably with the best of intention though, John, that they will one day get rid of it. But then it brings in so much money. Uh, well, that's the that's the the nub of the whole situation because uh, uh, they seem to be very selective uh, in 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 what they can or cannot do when it suits them. Because if you look at they were able to justify uh, 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 substantial raises to some senior civil servants, uh, uh, and uh, there was no problem in finding the money for that. But when the army taxpayer has to. Uh, 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 get a bit of relief. Uh, uh, they seem to find it very difficult and find excuses uh, 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 not to give them uh, those things. And I also have a problem if the civil servants are that good and they can justify giving some of those people the kind of rises that they have been given in the uh, immediate past. Why do they need 63 advisors for yeah, yeah, and then it was only this week it came out, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Labour Deputy Sean Sherlock showed the amount of money that was spent on special advisors. Was it 30 million euro or something oh, yeah, for last year? Correct, yeah. On special million, advisors yeah. and legal expertise. And you're thinking, well, why do we have all these civil servants? Can we, you know, they're highly intelligent people. Why do we need to go outside? For to look for even more advice, I know the mind the mind boggles, but nobody seems to be getting a break at the moment. Uh, that's for sure. All right, John. Listen, thank you for that. Stay safe. You too, Patricia. And thanks uh, for uh, joining us. And when I mentioned the crows, somebody here's where somebody has uh, an update on the crows story from Sweden. There was a program only last night on the TV. Was it to do with the Swedish? Was it, were they the Swedish ones that I'm talking about? They're picking up the cigarette butts. Teresa said they're called Caledonian crows. Their intelligence is extremely high. They're they're more superior than our crows here in Ireland. (laughs) Ours are not as cute. They have the intelligence of a seven-year-old. According to this programme that was on Virgin Media 1 last night. Well, could we get some of them to come into this uh, country and could they teach our Irish crows? Maybe they could learn from the Caledonian crows how to pick up the cigarette butts. OK, we're going to take a break and uh, fingers crossed, Peter Dowdle will be joining us next. Uh, you can call John Paul 0818 103 103. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdle, the Irish Gardener.com, joining us for our first gardening slot of the new year. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon. Another gardening season beckons. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's you can see it already. I think it's because of the mild winter, I'm assuming. You can already see the gardens almost seem a bit ahead of time, are they? Well, do you know what they are? And there was a worrying study uh, recently in in the UK where they um, 
they were studying, it was up to 432,000 pieces of data as regards, you see, there's bigger anoraks out there than me, believe it or not, when it comes to plants, but um, they were they were studying the flowering time of different spring and early summer flowering plants. And basically, the upshot of it all is, uh, on average, plants and trees and shrubs and herbaceous in particular are flowering 32 days earlier than what they did uh, only about 50 years ago. No, 50, I'm, more, I'm nearly 50. I'm not there yet, but I'm nearly 50. So I don't think it's a long time ago. And, you know, that may not sound like a big deal to people, to anybody. But when you think about the whole tapestry, like if the bees aren't out of the hibernation or if the other pollinators aren't out at the right time to get the blossoms, if they haven't adapted quickly, this could lead, lead to their extinction. And and even from, from an agricultural, I know we're going off topic a bit, uh, Trish, but even from an agricultural point of view on that with things flowering earlier, do you think if you have, a, let's say, for example, an orchard, an apple orchard, and if it flowers 30 days earlier than what it was doing 30, 40 years ago, if the bees aren't out to pollinate it, number one, you've no apples, or number two, if there's a late frost, that's the apple crop wiped out. You know, it, it, it is a worry what's happening. And is this all down to climate change? I would say so, yes. Yeah. And I mean, the experts are saying so, yeah, without question. Like, I don't, I hate to be the, the voice of doom. I hate being negative about it because there's still so much we can do. But we have to do it. We have to pay. Okay, let's get straight into uh, questions from our listeners. Patrick was on to us uh, via Instagram to say, any tips, uh, Peter, for reseeding a lawn that has been dug up? Well, the the only tip really is a bit of hard work. (laughs) Okay, I think... Okay, I think you're... Are you in a bad area? We are breaking up a little bit. Okay, keep going. You you just cleared there. Okay, go back to the hard okay, work. Okay, great. Yeah, start. that's perfect. Go back yeah, to the hard work. Yeah. Okay, sorry about that. So, yeah, so February now is the time to be preparing the soil for reseeding. So any rotivating or raking of, of the soil that needs to be done, do that now and... You know, hopefully we'll get some frost during February, which will work on the soil and break it down for you to create this fine tilt for seeding it or reseeding it in um, in March. Any weed growth that needs to be removed, do all that now, but don't put the seed down yet because, you know, there's still a, obviously a substantial risk of frost during the month of February. So wait till March. Uh, and the, the, there's no real tip as such, just what it will need then after seeding is plenty of water, uh, but don't feed it. Don't be encouraged to feed it until maybe the autumn at earliest. But if you've already dug it up, uh, you, you it was dug up last year, you've done all the hard work at this stage. Okay, hi, um, Peter. Uh, when is it okay to plant dahlias that I dug last year? Well, do you know what? I'll be doing a piece on, on planting dahlias on the Today Show later today in RT. And it was so, so I'm kind of chuckling to myself because I've, I've been talking about them earlier. Uh, and you, you'll get dahlia tubers in that now or over the next month, you will get them. But again, apropos of what I was talking about earlier, don't plant them too early because you don't want them to flower too early, okay? Uh, it's, it's still too early to plant them. I would say you could start them off indoors in little pots um, at the end of this month, at the earliest start of March. And if you want to plant them directly outside, I'd be waiting till the end of March, even early April. Uh, but and don't worry if it, if you think it's too late, it's not. They will catch up. It's better to do them too late uh, than to do them a bit too early and make them vulnerable. Lillian, question for Peter, please. Is there such a thing as an ivy tree? I'm aware of trailing ivy up and around trees, but I've always wondered, is there actually an ivy tree? Well, the, the ivy, to give it its correct name, if you like, is hedera, H-E-D-E-R-A. So there isn't a, a hedera that grows into a tree as such. There is a plant called hedera erecta, 
which as it sounds, it grows directly, it grows up, but only for a couple of feet. Uh, it's not a tree or by any manner of means. But um, on saying that, and the reason I'm hesitating is common names vary. That's why we use Latin in gardening. It's, it's not just so people like me can show off. It, it's because uh, there is no header that is a tree, but there might be something else, if you know what I mean, that is referred to as an ivy tree. But I haven't heard of it, so not to the best of my knowledge. OK, so I don't know why Lillian's asking. Maybe she's a fan of ivy. I love ivy too, I have to say. I love ivy trailing down. It's, it's, I, I, I think it's a gorgeous plant. I agree with you. And it's something, particularly in the hedgerows and in, in kind of areas of the garden that we shouldn't look upon as a problem or as a weed. I mean, it's a very, very valuable plant to, to bees and to birds and to loads of wildlife who make their nests in it. So, yeah, I think it's a lovely plant too. Shane has a fairly mature cherry blossom tree. Uh, it's uh, 15 years old, never been pruned. Shane says, I want to take a few of the lower limbs out of it. Is now the time to do it? With cherry or prunus, it's not actually the time to do it now. You could do a lot of trees at this time of the year, but prunus, no, uh, because it can be susceptible to a, an infection called silver leaf. So the time to do that actually would be, contrary to what you might in, you know, instinctively think, but the time to do it is actually in the middle of summer, kind of July time, June, July, August would be the time to do it. Okay, so a couple of people in on about roses. Eddie said, uh, Peter, is it too late to cut back my roses? No, it's not too late at all. You have any time really up to the end of February, so you have another four weeks. And it's the kind of job that I, I always think if you, it's better to do it late than never. So in other words, if you haven't even done it by the start of March, do it then anyway, because they really will thank you for, being, for pruning them. And, and it's hard to prune them too hard, if you know what I mean. So, so don't worry about going quite hard on them. Yeah, because somebody says, hi, Peter, I pruned my roses and hydrangea a couple of days ago. I'm wondering now, was it too early to do it? No, I wouldn't think so. You see, it's a dormant season at the well. It's in theory, Trish, it's a dormant season with the temperatures being as mild as they are. It's not that dormant, but it, it is technically the dormant season now. So, you know, pruning them any time between November and end of February during that quiet period, uh, they're not going to really start growing until kind of the temperatures increase in March anyway. So any time that you do it between, between, as I say, November and the end of February is safe enough. Gosh, I, everyone seems to want to prune. I think people are just mad to get out into the garden. There's so many questions in about pruning roses, Hydrangea. We've answered all of those. Yes, it is okay to prune them now. Um, this is from Mike in beautiful Bantry Bay. I planted 60 allium bulbs, Peter, and I put a top dressing over them of seaweed over 20 of them. They're all overground now, but they won't flower till June or July. Are they too early? It's funny you say that, what you said a minute ago about all of us. I think there is a switch goes off in each one of us around this time of year that we need to get back into the garden, whether it's planting alliums or cutting back. I think we feel drawn back into it. The the, the question on, the, on his alliums... I'm going to have to be vague and say I'm not sure. It is a bit early to be seeing them. And I was speaking to somebody else about this yesterday, actually, who had alliums up over the ground. Um, on, if we get a cold spell, that will slow them up, okay? Um, but And I imagine we will. And it won't harm the bulbs, so don't worry. But if we don't get a cold spell, I think they'll be in flower well before June. I think they'll be in flower in kind of April, maybe even April, May. Uh, and if you remember earlier, Trish, the date last year, I was talking about planting your daffodils and tulips, and I was saying that people are in a mad rush to plant them in August because they're in the supermarkets and garden centres. Don't wait. Stick to the season. Stick to kind of October onwards before you plant your spring bulbs. And I wouldn't really plant alliums till December, January. So if they flower a bit early, it's not the end of the world. 
they'll 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 most likely uh, go back to their normal routine next year. Okay, Shane has a guardian question. Our balcony is after going all green. It's like a moss or a mould. I'm he's not really sure which it is. We do have a fake ivy fence up, but the green is the worst we've ever seen. We're wondering, is it because of that fake ivy fence or is it to do with the weather that we've had this year and what is the best way to get rid of it? You know what? It's probably due to both, Trish, I suppose. It's 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 just a, a lack of light and air getting to the area. I'm uh, I, I'm going to reserve I'm going to keep my feelings on fake ivy and fake plants. <laughs> I better not talk about not that. Not a but, fan then, um, I take it. Well, no, absolutely no. <laughs> not. But um, but I would. Uh, th- there's a product I think it's called Algon from memory, which is an organic Irish reuse product. I'm going from memory now, but I'm, uh, I have used it. The memory bit is the name. I'm sure it's Algon. Uh, that is an environmentally sound one to use. It's very very effective. And then when the area is clean, you can get the Moscow, which is another Irish product, Moscow Probiotic, as opposed to any of the other Moscows. There's a Moscow Probiotic, which again is environmentally sound. And it won't kill the green or kill anything like that, but it will keep it clean once you've cleaned it in the first instance with the algon. It's some kind of, you know, very basic moss or algae that's growing there that, that an algicide will, will get rid of. Uh, but yeah, I would say that the fake ivy is, is probably cutting out any bit of light that's yeah. getting to the balcony and that is exacerbating the problem. Okay, somebody wants to know, can I move a green beach hedge? A beach hedge. You can move a green beach hedge. I, I, I imagine she said the word now should be at the end of that question. Yeah. And the answer is you can move it and you can move it now. Again, we're in that dormant period, or in theory, we're in the dormant period. Uh, but you'd want to get your skates on. You'd want to have it done certainly this month and have the new place that you have the new home for it ready in advance, if you like. So don't take it out of the ground and then think about where you're going to plant it. Have the new home ready in advance, lift it and move it so it's not out of the ground for any length of time get as much of the root ball as you can depending on how established it is will determine the level of risk so if it's a hedge that's only been in one or two years Trish it'll, it should move relatively successfully if it's you know five ten years or more there's going to be a substantial enough risk of failure of some of it uh, but just get as much of a root ball as possible and really for the first I would say 24 months after moving it pay really close attention to water uh, this is kind of a seasonal question. Could you ask Peter, can you set hyacinth bulbs in the garden? They've already flowered, but the flowers are gone off now. And lots of people would have got them as presents at Christmas in containers. Can you put them out in the garden? You can, absolutely. And it is a very relevant question at this time of the year because hyacinths it come. So the hyacinths are, are bulbs that you would plant in the garden uh, in the autumn, autumn, winter. Again, like your daffodils, tulips, things like that for spring flowering. But what you get then are what's called prepared hyacinths, which have gone through a period of preparation to to allow them to flower for Christmas indoors. Okay, now that preparation only lasts for that season. So if you had Christmas hyacinths or indoor hyacinths this year, they're not Christmas hyacinths forever. They will be for planting out now next. So the the flowers have died off now. Uh, Keep the bulbs somewhere kind of, you know, cool and dry until the autumn and then don't then plant them out into the garden and they flower as normal then in the spring for you. Okay, and would they flower next spring or it'll be the year after? No, they should, if you plant them this autumn, so don't plant them out in the garden yet, keep them, store them somewhere cool and dry, wrap them in a bit of newspaper or similar uh, and plant them in, I would say, October, November of this year and you'll have flowers outside next spring. Okay, and stay seasonal. Christmas cactus that has stopped flowering, what do I do with it now, says a listener, I got it as a present. 
Well, you can answer that, I think. <laughs> well, take the flower <laughs> heads. Alone. Take the flower heads off and don't move it. Yeah, don't move it. If don't it's, move if it. It's yeah, I, I maybe give it a drop of a, a good quality plant food, a house plant food, just to, to build up the nutrient reserves. But there's little enough to do with them, really. And if, and I have to say, I, I, and I don't know whether I, I had told you or not, we, we, I, I thought the ones that were here in our canteen were taking a break this year. It was over Christmas. They bloomed. And my God, the last, for the whole month of January, uh, Peter, every time I went into the, the canteen, they were just, a, I've never seen so many flowers on a Christmas cactus they before. They must have heard you talking to them. They did, yeah. They, they really are stunning. So a busy time of the year for gardeners. It, well, do you know what it is? Because in the garden, you're always thinking a season ahead. So you're 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 getting ready now for for planting of the you know as we were talking about there your dahlias, lilies, gladiolas, begonias. A bit early to plant them yet, but you want to be starting to get them now. All right, and and then you're it's all about preparation at this time of the year. And of course, the, the nature moves on whether we're ready or not. So if the preparation work isn't done for for that lawn that needs to be reseeded or whatever, it moves on. To, you, there's a lot of work to be done in the garden at the moment. And the weather's been nice and mild as well, so people have been able to get out, which is which is terrific. OK, as always, a pleasure. We'll talk to you again next week, Peter. Thanks, Trish. Look Thank forward you to. for that. Thanks a million. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, the theirishgardener.com. And our apologies if we didn't get to all of your questions. Peter will be back with us next week and I will try to get to as many of your questions as we can. But that's where I need to wrap it up for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. And thank you to everybody who made contact with the programme today. We really appreciate it. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at, at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday and stay safe. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,